the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Monday, October 9th. Week five of the NFL season is almost complete. Not too much to talk about there. Plenty of storylines brewing in the NFL. Here's the agenda for today. Dan Soman joins here in just a few minutes to break down what we have collectively called Spot Track's top 10 Major League Baseball free agents. I posted an article on SpotTrack.com last night that details who those 10 players are, where we think they're going, and what that free agent contract could look like in terms of what our calculations say, what logic says, and sort of what the market is bearing out to be over the next couple of months. So Cousin Dan in baseball free agency first. And on the back end, another article I posted yesterday. They're making me work on the weekends here. Jonathan Taylor signs a three-year, $42 million extension in Indianapolis. Surprisingly so. We have the full breakdown now available on Track, And I have written a piece detailing that as much as possible, including the guarantee structure, cap and cash, all the good stuff. Some concluding thoughts of where this is headed now, what it means for the running back conversation. I will get to that as much as possible on the back end of this show. So baseball first, Jonathan Taylor second. Let's bring in Cousin Dan and hit the ground run. All right, Dan. I posted one of your least favorite things ever on spotrack.com. You are not a predictions guy. You are an analyst. You like to see what's available and uh, sort of, you know, cooperate with the numbers that already exist. Um, I like to have a little fun with this stuff this time of year, especially when it comes to baseball, my first love. Um, you've helped me compile this list of top 10 Major League Baseball free agents. It's not the sexiest group, but there's some names here. And I have hit the ground running, putting together not only my thoughts on each player, but a destination and a potential contract for each. Um, welcome to the show. Here's your first question. How, which name here do you think I am completely off on in terms of either destination or price points heading into the winter here? Um, destination i'll i'll pass on for right now um, <laughs> you hate this so much i love it well no i you're just gonna hear me punt a lot on it um there's so <laughs> many factors that are still to evolve even in the coming weeks that are going to dictate this but it is a fun exercise to do yeah. um i don't really think there's anything glaring that sticks out to me one way or another um mm -hmm. i guess if i'm trying to poke holes maybe um maybe it's like the cody bellinger deal just mm. because i'm a little bit concerned on um well mostly because i think it's going to be a, a layered uh type of contract but yeah, for the I most part I, I think a lot of these are are pretty much within range um and have potential the the landing spots all have potential in my opinion <clears throat> so many of these guys have massive red flags you know like we had, we had some real cherries last year. Some man, this guy's going to hit the open market, not because of what he's done or what the red, red flags say about him, but because he has chosen to decline extension offers and, and become available so that 15 teams can bid for him. Right. We had a bunch of those players last year, Correa, Judge, et cetera. I, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously Otani is that player, but now even his injury is this gigantic red flag. So. Uh, just quickly, I'm going to run through the list of names, and then we can uh, we can do you, you know the layman's work on detail on these as much as you want. So obviously, Otani is our number one. Um, and speaking of layered, holy cow, Blake Snell uh, shot up to number two for us. And six months ago, this was a pipe dream because of the way he looked when he was acquired by San Diego versus what he's been able to do over the last four months. I think he's a slam dunk Cy Young winner now, which is always a nice thing to have in your back pocket when you're hitting the open market. Um, and speaking of which, our number three is Aaron Nola. And that's probably debatable and, and will be debatable if, if, if people read this. But he, he has had too many good years to just take what, we, what we've seen in 2023 at face value, not to be a top five name on this list. Um, and, and by the way, Cody Bellinger, number four, I think is the same conversation. We've seen more good than bad from Bellinger. It's just we have this bad taste in our mouth because of the way he left Los Angeles. Um, but looks like some things have righted. We'll talk about him in a second. Matt Chapman is number five. I struggled so much with this. Uh, I, I talked to you offline about it. We've talked last week in our, our, our 
playoff piece where we discussed Toronto and we discussed how Matt Chapman has just become a ghost of himself, a shell of himself over the past two months. I, I don't even know how that's going to translate to the winner, but you, you, you sort of uh, bolstered my view with him basically to say like, look, there's a lot of teams that need this. There's not many third basemen available. And there's a lot of organizations out there that will just ignore what happened over the past two and a half months and pay this guy for what they think he can be. And by the way, that is how this works. That's, that's Major League Baseball in a nutshell right there. And that's Josh Hader, number six, right? So many teams need a closer. He is the best available closer. We've got big numbers slated for him here coming up. Um, number seven is Clayton Kershaw. Even if you... <laughs> Should we excuse what we saw 24 hours ago? Probably. Um, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, Dan, comes in at number eight. I cannot wait to talk about him with you. Sonny Gray at number nine, a complete comeback story. And the one that got away from the Yankees, Jordan Montgomery, number 10 on our list of top 10 Major League Baseball free agents. I'm going to let you drive the number one here. Back to Shohei. I've done a lot of work on Shohei. This is a five-paragraph breakdown on this article about Shohei. It could be 25 paragraphs, as you know. Um, I ended up just kind of not punting with this valuation, but but flatlining it, right? So I gave a, a straight number. To a, to a single team. And I, I simplified the process. You and I have had a lot of discussions about how, how complicated this may be. And that was before the arm injury. That was before you know, pitching became a, a non-factor in 2024. Um, you, you think this is going to be a Julio Rodriguez type contract where there's multiple layers, multiple triggers, multiple ways for more money to be unlocked, things like that. Um, and I think it's a really smart look. So... So kind of break down what you think could happen here, Dan, in like the grandest possibility for Shohei Otani. And do you agree that the Dodgers still remain the favorite in the clubhouse for him? Yes. Um, yes, I think the Dodgers are probably the leading candidate. Maybe I put the cart before the horse there. But no. basically, at a, at a very high level, um, we're flat out talking about a once in a generation, maybe maybe once in the entire sport type of player here. Um, and in order for him to get paid um, and like to reach his ceiling outcome financially and also consider the immense risk of um, his profile changing as in him not being a starting pitcher or pitcher at all in the coming years. Um, in order for him to like really maximize his potential financial ceiling here, it almost has to be layered to me. And I like, and I say that to the point where like you're, you're in this article, we lay out where like, theoretically we can get his value to like 700 over 700 million Easily. here. Is that, is that going to happen? Probably not in theory, but it's at least a realistic realm if in a vacuum right but we're not in a vacuum things have changed the injury is here um it, it, it's just there's no clean way to kind of assess there was no clean way to assess him before the injury now it's really convoluted um I, can i jump in dan i, 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 I just want to i, I want to put some real life experience to what we're saying here so in the piece I wrote, I, 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 like I said, I, I tried to simplify this and make, somewhat idiot-proof the process because it can get really complicated really fast. I brought in two names. I brought in Garrett Cole as a, you know, the, the last real massive free agent pitcher contract we have. And it, it was massive, right? And I brought in Aaron Judge, which is super fresh in our minds, as the last massive power-hitting free agent contract that we have. It just so happens those are Yankees contracts, but... Those are essentially what we're dealing with here. It's not unfair to say that if Shohei was just hitting the market as a hitter, we would be comparing him or, or he would be negotiating based on Aaron Judge's contract. If he were just hitting the market as a pitcher, it might be a little bit of a reach to have him say, I'm going after Garrett Cole's contract, but his agent would be trying. That would be the number. That would be the, the contract of choice, even if it's a ceiling. If... If Garrett Cole were entering the open market right now with this injury, how would that impact Garrett Cole's negotiations? Because I want, I want to do justice. I want to separate the two entities if we can and, and talk about Shohei 
as a hitter because it sounds like he's going to hit from day one, right? It sounds like he's going to Bryce Harper this thing and do everything he can despite this surgery and then Shohei the pitcher, assuming that Garrett Cole's contract tax adjusted is the ceiling. So, so how does this injury impact the pitching contract of Shohei Otani? I want to say, I only want to, I want to say it's limited, which is probably surprising. But like, if you consider that Jacob deGrom just got the contract a year ago that he did with massive injury risk, um, uh, if you want to play it out and say if Garrett Cole suffered a similar injury, um, Garrett Cole is going to have right, right, and Garrett Cole is going to be presented with um, an opt out next year after next year where the Yankees can just uh, veto that opt out by adding an extra year to Garrett Cole's deal, which would make it basically Jacob Degrom's deal. So even if you want to play that out. I, you know, I think that his market value, the Yankees would pick up that um, option in that scenario. So if we're if we're kind of saying this caliber player, even with injury concerns, it is worth that money, even if there's risk there. I, I mean, I yes, it affects his number ultimately, but um, I mean, I don't think in this. I, I just think this is such a unicorn. I can't state that enough that I'm willing to kind of wipe away some of our, uh, you know, our guidelines we would normally operate within um, trying to analyze this. But I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting think piece and I'm willing to be way, way wrong on this, but I I just, if he, if the consensus is he can return to anywhere close to the form of pitcher he was previous to the injury um, for a couple of years, two, three more years, I think, um, you know, he's he, as a hitter plus pitcher, he's worth easily 50 million a year over those that couple okay. years right there. So, I mean, you're really talking about the money. It's it's hard to not it's hard to get him under the val- the astronomical values that we have. In that. Do you believe, especially now with this surgery and this injury, do you believe that the contract at the end of the day will have a, a legitimate condition built into it? In, in terms of the pitching out of the gate, or do you believe that he will get at least a six or seven year full guarantee just completely ignoring the fact that he might never pitch again? Cause it's not, it's not out of the question, right? I mean, he may come back and throw three, four starts like Degrom has tried to do three times now and is shelved again. So do you believe that there will be a clear cut, you must pitch X number of innings to unlock another four years and $200 million, kind of like Julio Rodriguez's MVP stuff is. Um, Or do you believe that there will be enough teams involved that at the end of the day, this is just going to be a 10 or 12 year deal, fully guaranteed nuts and bolts. um, And and there's not going to be any BS. I, I, I tend to go in that direction that there are so many teams involved with this guy, just from the market standpoint, the marketability standpoint, that they're going to take out all the riffraff and just say, if we if we want a chance to get this guy, we can't build in an innings restriction or a condition here. And ex- we just have to hope and pray. And, it's, and it might be sunk money, but we'll get a lot of it back on sales, right? I, where, where, where are you with this? Because I know you, I know, I think you, you're rooting for creativity here. I just think there's too many teams involved for this one unicorn player to actually see it getting to that point. But I could be completely wrong. And I, could be too. Maybe it's sunk, sunk in uh, cost in terms of I. This is how I felt for a long time, and I yeah. and I just can't really wrap my brain otherwise. And, and I say that knowing that, like, if we're like, our prediction right now is twelve for five five fifty, basically. Yeah. Um, it's getting into that tor- ter- twelve years because you want to obviously take the the average luxury tax mm-hmm. <clears throat> hit down a little bit. So if we're talking about 12 years, full, fully guaranteed, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, if you're going to value him at that AAV for 12 years, like there's massive risk, massive, massive. risk on the, on the team side. Now, I don't care uh, from like an organizational standpoint, these teams can eat that money and maybe they will. And maybe that's where, my thesis is totally thrown out the window and you're totally correct about this is just a, a fully guaranteed contact cut out the strings. But in my opinion, if they can chase like 
hypothetically a 60 plus AAV over a shorter amount of time. And he tries to re-enter free agency as a hitter three or four years mm. from now and make Aaron judge's contract at that point as a hitter. I, I mean, maybe they can maximize it there, but I guess I'm, I, I guess I'm sticking my foot in my mouth, kind of talking myself out of it a little bit, but I just think if he's, if, if they can creatively structure a deal that maximizes his potential in the short term as a hitter and a pitcher and leaves flexibility for him to cash in again, primarily as a hitter in the future, I think that's something that they might be willing to explore, but I, I'm, I'm guessing his agents are going to have a All right. better angle on that. So I'm going to throw something at you that's literally off the top of my head, but we have discussed this quite a bit. If, and by the way, I, I believe that pitching conditions should be built into this. I think it's astronomically wrong to do otherwise, especially because all the star pitchers that have shown these kind of struggles in terms of injuries and red flags have continued to be get to, to get injured, including now Max Scherzer, right? The guy who could never get injured now has now is essentially injury prone. Right, it's like every two, three months, this thing pops back up in some capacity. So nobody is bulletproof with this stuff. It's just where it is. So to think that this Otani injury just isn't going to come back at some point in time is just reckless. That's reckless thinking. If there's going to be pitching conditions built into this contract, I believe there are there should be ways that hitting conditions can supersede the pitching conditions. In other words, if he needs to pitch 110 innings on average over a five-year span to unlock the next eight, nine, ten, nine years, or eight, let's say six years, right? Let's say it's six years, six years guaranteed. And then if he has the innings pitch threshold, he gets another six years tacked on fully guaranteed. But if he doesn't get those innings pitched, I want there to be in place silver sluggers, MVPs, take war and in, involve whatever you want to do, Right. I believe as a hitter, he can be special enough to be worth all of this money on a 12-year contract, just as a hitter. I believe he's that special. So if there, if he's going to accept pitching conditions and innings, innings pitch conditions, I want there to be a superseding hitting condition that he can hit that converts the last six years into some sort of option for him. Because I want to bring everything you're saying together. It's, I don't want it to be something that the team then gets. I want it to be something that the player now has the option to accept. That's what this guy needs to be doing. He needs to bring in every bell and whistle possible from a player control standpoint. He, he does. Because free agency is weakening every year, every year, every year. right? And Judge did a great job, but Judge didn't get an opt-out. right? Judge didn't get any kind of control in his contract. He took at face value that extra year. And Pete Alonso was trying to do the same thing with the Mets. I don't care about getting out of this contract. I want one more year. I want one more guaranteed year. Right? They're fighting for every dollar and every year possible still in Major League Baseball, the best players in the game. I want the ability... And Julio's, Julio's contract has this, by the way. Julio's contract can unlock more years, unlock more money if he wants it. Or he can punt on the remainder of the contract, go to free agency, start over, and do things right at age 30. That's the brilliance of that deal. I would love to see Otani, if he's going to take the innings pitch conditions be able to supersede them with hitting conditions that forces some sort of player option, some ridiculous six for 300 or something like that, right? Some ridiculous player option that he can then decide on based on where he is in his career. Um, so to me, if it's going to be creative, I want it to be uber creative. I want it to be, I want it to include more power for him, not less power for him. Um, but boy, I don't know. Again, at the end of the day, I wrote down one sentence, right? 12 for 552 to the Los Angeles Dodgers, because it, it could very well just become, we're not going to work this hard. We're just going to pay the money because we're the Dodgers, you know? Yeah. I, I hope I didn't sound like I was trying to defend the team risk on this side, because I'm on, I'm totally on board with you there yeah. that I, 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 that's what I'm envisioning is something that gives him power in the future knowing and i say that knowing that these teams and negotiations are going to point to some degree i know if there's going to be a bidding war for him but to some degree 
they're going to point to the injury and try yeah. and lower his value for they that. Had, so they had nothing to look. They had nothing to wrap themselves around before this injury, and now they exactly. have something. So they're going to exploit it. They're gonna exactly. So that's where I get off saying he. he it, they're going to try and lower his value. If he's still a premium pitcher and an elite hitter, he needs a way to maximize. And maybe that is in the form of these incentive structures like the Julio Rodriguez deal, but they're going to want at the end of the day, they're going to want that flashy ceiling number, what the contract could get to. They're not going to report. Oh, yeah. And yeah, we'll know, the max, we'll know the max number before we know the stipulations. No question. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so that that's just around my point of I'm on board. I'm on the side of, him getting the flexibility in the future, not like a club option or anything like that. So, all right, Blake Snell is going to win the NL Cy Young this year, Dan. The, the Padres were an absolute mess around him um, outside of Juan Soto and Josh Hader. What do we do with this? Um, it seems like they're going to shed payroll. That it, They might ax their GM. It sounds like the coach is safe. I'm not sure AJ Preller is safe. Um, and if they change, if they change course in terms of the front office. It could mean a lot of differences because that he's one of the most aggressive GMs we've ever seen in this game. You know the next guy in or next next person in won't be. So it could be, you know, dial it back. Let's Tampa Bay raise this thing a little bit, right? So I, I don't I don't see him coming back in any capacity, do you? I'd be shocked. No, I'd Me be too. shocked. I, yeah. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna do a little turnover here. They have a couple nice prospects to build around in the future, but it makes it a little bit puzzling. I, I know they thought they were in the race or hmm. <laughs> more in the race than they were down the stretch here. But I mean, losing Blake Snell, Blake Snell and Josh Hader for basically nothing. Um, yeah. You know, they're going to have to trade Soto just to recoup some sort of prospects back. They're going to have to, right? Yeah. So just for them to go from, we think we're a contender down the stretch to we're going to basically you know, get under a pay, like, a we're going to yeah. retract payroll is sort of, um, bad process in such a short amount of time, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, yeah he'll be somewhere else next year, in my opinion. Well, I kind of like this prediction more and more after seeing the last couple of days of baseball. Um, the Orioles definitely need a vet, you know, they need a proven vet, a guy who's been in a small, small market before kind of understands how things will work, right? He was Tampa Bay to start everything off here. I think this is a wonderful fit. I'm not sure that they'd be willing to shell out the 115 over five for this player, but with so many rookie deals and entry level, you know, pre-arb contracts on this roster, on this 40 man roster right now, there's really not too many mouths to feed. How aggressive they want to be this offseason is yet to be seen. But if they get bounced out and swept out of this postseason, you have to think that that will be the, you know, the the calling card heading and heading toward the winner, which is all right. We've got something now. We need to layer the icing on top of this cake. And I think taking the Cy Young winner out of the national league is a pretty good start. For sure. Uh, you can expand on, they need a vet too. They need, they need an ACE there. I mean, they have some guys, yeah. some nice pitchers brewing that could turn into that piece, but this team is clearly ready and entering a window. Um, I think they probably target a multi-year um, guy that, might not need to commit a hundred mil right now. Uh, just knowing that they're probably going to try and get some extensions done with uh, some of their younger core. But I do meaning like, meaning um, acquire a, an arbitration level player, something like that. Yeah, somebody okay. maybe we don't know who's available. So for the sake of this, it's not too interesting. But Blake's, I I like the I like the prediction. Um, okay. It's it's totally in line with the process. I think they need to start. Uh, all right, not not unlike Baltimore, right? Arizona's probably in the same kind of market. Um, Zach Allen's a guy; he is their ace, so they're sort of looking for that number two. Uh, not that Merrill Kelly can't be, but he's on a short deal. He's kind of older. He kind of peaked really late here, and uh, I don't think he's got. He's a guy that that's going to be there for their long term future. Not that this player, Aaron Nola, would be either. But you put those three names in at the top of your rotation. And you don't need Aaron Nola to be more than a number three, essentially. And I think really good things could happen. It's an overpay, six for 140, which is what he calculates to in our system right now. But again, he's had two, three top five Cy Young seasons over the past few years. This wasn't his year. So maybe you can say he's in pretty stark decline here if you want. And, and that number could drop. But I, I like that team 
Um, it's a better version of Madison Bumgarner coming on board. And by the way, at a way better time, right? Signing Bumgarner when they did was a disaster. It's like putting the quarterback without any weapons on there, Justin Fields. And, uh, and Aaron Nola is just a, a better fit for this contention that Arizona's in. And by the way, they don't look like they're going to be done anytime soon this, this postseason. Yeah, I totally agree. This, uh, I mean, we've seen this type of player track record um, get paid. You know, they always find um, nine figures on the open market here. So I would, yeah. uh, I have nothing. I might, be, I might be a year too high, right? Maybe it's like a five for 120 types. Of, maybe it's exactly what Blake Snell gets, honestly. Um, but similar situations, to go, going to similar teams, similar contracts could be the, could be the case. Let's get to Bellinger, man. This one's fun. Um, you could tell me this is every dollar of the five-year 110 that I have predicted here. You could also tell me he takes another one for 25, right? Like I, I can totally see all those things happening here. Um, but one thing is for certain, uh, he has adjusted and he looks like he's adjusted for, for this prime time of his career. Do you believe that he is this player now or, or do you have concerns that he reverts back to long swinging, you know, 200 strikeout Cody Bellinger. I definitely have concerns. Um, just knowing we've seen an injury really massively derail his, yeah. car- uh, his career to the point where, uh, you know, one of the best or one of the worst full-time outfielders in the league in uh, past seasons. So I have concerns. I do think he still provides massive value. Um, but I think um, I really think this is a line like that J.D. Martinez um, Red Sox contract he signed in 2018 that had multiple um, opt outs um, yeah. that, you know, I think both the, t- the player and team had a little control in case of injury. Um, I think it's structured like that if we do um, get some sort of extended deal, you know, beyond like a one year, 20, 20 plus mil, like you had said. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. This could easily be like a three for 75 with back-to-back vesting options or things like that. There's no question about that. They're going to want to protect themselves. Um, what do you think about my thoughts with the giants, a team that seems to swing, swing and miss now every single free agent season. Are they going to get their guy this time? I think it's an interesting spot for sure. We're going to see them. I think we're going to see a little, I mean, they're not going to change their organizational philosophy uh, drastically, uh, you know, but I, I think we're with new manager. We're going to see a little bit of change. Maybe how they want to attack this free mm-hmm. agency um, could be really interesting. I, I, I kind of like the match there. Okay. Matt Chapman was great on an MVP pace and then he wasn't and he never was again. Which Matt Chapman is going to be signed this winter? <laughs> yeah, I definitely think he gets paid. I don't know what player we expect long term, but um, I mean, he's a premium <laughs> defender, and that's going to carry him. Yeah. Um, for that, that's going to go a long way in terms of just free agency. He's a, you know, we've seen him thirty home run potential, no problem. Um, in the past, I thought he had a bit different approach coming into this year. Really fluttered down the stretch, but the third base market is terrible. Um, flat out terrible. I've said it multiple times. We laugh about it, but he's going to get paid um, no matter what, in my opinion. So I, I don't I don't know how he gets under this number. I don't totally know about the landing spot, but it does make sense. We talked through this one a little <laughs> bit. You, The Dodgers have so much flexibility throughout their roster yeah. um, that they can move you know, any of the guys – Max Muncy, if if they pick if that that option gets picked up, um, Miguel Vargas can shift over to second if you know if they need. Yeah. So there, there's plenty of plenty of versatility there. So yeah, I like I like it quite yeah, a bit. I just envision Matt Chapman batting seventh on that Dodgers lineup, making like thirty million a year and laughing out loud. But that's you know it's not it wouldn't well, be unlike that organization to do it. Let's put it that way. Right, and I mean maybe we give them too much credit, but uh, that team could maybe be the one to make the the fine, you know, the finesse tweaks to Matt Chapman that really gets him over the hump that we thought, um, you know, I really thought he, he was about to explode coming into the year. All signs pointed to that. Um, things did not go that way. Maybe, maybe a team like the Dodgers could be the one to really, uh, squeeze, squeeze that last little bit out of a player like that. By the way, this, this was a guy that was 
well over the 20 million per year mark to start this season because of his torrid start. And uh, as, as it stands today, he's at six for a hundred. So about 16 and a half million a year. So that's the nosedive from a production standpoint that he took over the past couple of months. It was pretty drastic, but you know, I, at the end of the day, if the Dodgers want to pay on hundred million dollars, I don't think he's going to say no, let's put it that way. Um, relief pitching. It's always so tough to market, to target, predict and, and do things with the, the back ends of the bullpen. But every so often we get a slam dunk like this. We had Edwin Diaz last year and certainly the Mets did, you know, plenty of work to lock him up. And I don't think that contract is going to be approached even with this. Um, I know Hader can get there. He has shown flashes that he can be the best closer in baseball. I just don't think the consistency has been enough to put him to the top of this mountain, which is now 20.5 million per year. He's a 17 and a half million dollar player in our system, Dan. Um, I think for, for all intents, for, for the number of teams that will be coming after him, we can get him to 18. I've got him at five for 90 here. And I've got him with the Cubs, a team I know that you loved coming into the season, a team that is probably going to get a lot of press this winter because of what they did and kind of outkicked their coverage. And if they just add maybe two or three pieces and have a couple of those prospects actually play, something that I know you were frustrated with this year, they could really have something, especially in a division that is sort of crumbling and maybe crumbling even more if Milwaukee starts to break things up. So I'm going to put this guy as a slam dunk back end reliever for the Cubs for the next four or five years. And uh, it's going to cost about 90 million. Your thoughts? Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, let me, yeah. let me ask this question. Are you, are you in on paying closers still? Or are you having like a running back moment with this with this position? No, I think these bona fide closers, um, there will always be that elite tier of guy that gets paid, the Edwin Diaz, um, Josh Haters. I think those guys will always find a, a sizable contract. I mean, we see, uh, what, 35-year-old Kenley Jansen getting 15 mil a year on one-year deals. Um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be there for these guys, in my opinion. So, um, I, I don't totally know about the, I, I personally just don't know about the Cubs landing spot as in they had, they might have some internal options they like for the back end, like young guys that um, like haven't totally made it sort of thing. But regardless, I think the Matt, it, it makes sense here. A, a team um, about yeah. to enter what a, a window that we think uh, they'll be contenders for and to lock up uh, a guy on the back end. Uh, with maybe those younger pieces in front of him, I think it makes a lot of sense. So, do you think he can approach Edwin Diaz's contract here? Is he still that kind of player in your in your opinion? He probably comes within range. I don't think he exceeds it or anything. I do. Hmm. Actually, I don't know about that. Let me let me pause because I was going to point to some injury concerns, but. Um, I mean, I'm not even going to say that this year's Edwin Diaz injury, but I know we had in the, in the past, he had really, uh, you know, one and a half seasons of really poor production, uh, similar to Josh Hader last year. So it's sort of like a similar trajectory, if you will. So, um, yeah, he, he could certainly get it. He's going to pretty easily be the most proven guy, um, available, right? Yeah, no question about it. And all these fringe or or slightly in playoff teams like Seattle, Chicago, those kind of teams, Cincinnati even, um, probably at least, well, Cincinnati's got the other Diaz, but there's plenty of teams in that contentions window that are just drooling for a player like this right now, at least uh, on paper. Clayton Kershaw was... Go ahead, man. No, I was just going to say, we're going to make... People are going to hear us make this point a million times throughout the offseason, but free agency is just as much a product of uh, you know, the circumstances and the market around you as it is your talent level. We don't necessarily think all of these guys are elite superstars or anything. Maybe Josh Hader is not an elite closer anymore. Who knows? But these guys are all going to get paid. Um, because Generally the- speaking, the top player available at every position gets a really strong contract, probably more than you're even thinking you know, about right now. That's sort right. of how this, this league works, right? So if Matt Chapman is is handedly the best third baseman and you don't think he's a hundred million dollar player. That's fine. But supply and demand is still a huge thing in free agency in this league, unlike any other league really. So yeah, you're not wrong. Um, it's not, it's not incorrect. It's not hyperbole to do what we're doing. This is generally how things go every winter. Right. Yeah. Clayton Kershaw was awful. Um, playoff Clayton was back. 
that's going to be how we're, how, it's probably the, you know, how we're going to leave. I don't know. Is this it? I mean, if, is, can you retire with that? Can you walk away from baseball with that taste in, in our mouths right now? I don't know. Um, let me, let me ask this question. He decides he wants to play. Are the Dodgers in? Because there were some Texas Rangers talk last time, maybe some Houston talk. You know, I feel like it's in that that realm, Texas or LA. I don't think the Angels are buying, let's put it that way. But, you know, I don't know. Is there a world where he ends up one for twenty with Seattle next year, Dan? Mm. Or is it or is it Dodgers or retirement for you? I think it's Dodgers, Rangers, or retirement. And quite honestly, I don't know if the Rangers are gonna if he's gonna make twenty plus mil, I don't know if they're gonna wanna add yeah. um another guy with injury concern making 20 plus mil to that rotation. So it's pro to me, it's probably Dodgers or, you know, he retires. And if that's the case, I think the Dodgers are probably in, maybe it's more of a, like you, you have laid out here incentives. Um, if, yeah. Maybe it's like vesting type things in terms of innings pitched. Maybe it, they go in, um, slow playing it. He kind of doesn't start mm. the year or starts the year, takes some time, you know, working out of the bullpen and long really. I don't really know how this plays out, but I mean, the, the top, the clock is ticking on his career. I tend to think he might be done, but mm. you think he's back or I, I mean, I know your prediction here, but like realistically you think he's back, he's back or retires. <clears throat> Honestly, if he pitches game four, and has a nice outing, he probably walks away. Right. That makes sense. But if this is if this last start is honestly going to be his last start ever, I think he's going to have to fight his way back onto our roster next year. And by the way, the only reason I have it one year back to the Dodgers isn't because he's a lifelong Dodger. The Dodgers need a pitcher. I mean, right. the Dodgers, th this is maybe their most important position in heading into the offseason with Bueller and all this stuff, right? Urias, not obviously, you know, probably out of the league, not alone coming back there. So uh, they need it, right? They probably don't want to go gigantic, massive contracts. So bringing back this guy, even if it's for 15 starts on a one for 20 with incentives or something like that, uh, they, they probably say yes immediately. So to me, it's just about how does he finish off 2023? And hopefully he gets a game four to go out there and at least right the ship a little bit before we see what we have to do. But man, I, not the way you want a, a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer to finish his career. Let's put it that way. Um, Yamamoto, the big Japanese, the next Japanese starting pitching superstar. Kodai Senga was the, the, the most recent. It has worked out gangbusters for the Mets. He's going to get Cy Young votes. He's going to get Rookie of the Year votes. He's the best pitcher the Mets have going into 2024. Right? I mean, all those things are 100% factual true. I've got this guy going on the Mets too, because it sounds like the, the inner workings have already been happening. They've got all the translation pieces in place. You know, it's a market that can handle this kind of stuff pretty easily. And I think they feel great about the Senge contract. So why not up the ante and go after a guy who's even younger, who's got even a better pedigree? He was an unbelievable producer this year alone, right? I mean, he's he's hitting the ground running in terms of the post market and all that stuff. I, I know Steve Cohen doesn't want to pay every dollar to everybody, but starting pitching's the biggest need the Mets have. They're going to lose at least two players now heading into the winter. Their bottom two players, their fourth and their fifth options are not Major League Baseball starters, in my opinion. So this guy just becomes the next best thing. And I don't know that there's... I, I know there are 15 to 20 teams all interested in this player because of what he can be. I'm not sure there's a better fit for everybody than the Mets right now. I agree. And he maybe jumps to... Um, he might be the top free agent mm. pitcher, um, like kind of when all said and done is said and done. Like we might look back and say that he was um, the top guy available this offseason. So, yeah. So do you think I'm being conservative with a five for 85? It's weird, um, right? Because because you got to build the posting fee in, right? Those are ancillary payments and things like that. We just don't see international signings like this go super big out of the gate. Um, there can be some club options and stuff built in to help that. But um, I, I, I felt it felt incorrect going, going to a hundred million out of the gate. Is that how you feel as well? I think that's probably, 
I think that's probably correct. Yeah. I, I like where you have it. I, I, I'm yeah. not saying in terms of the money, we're going to look back and say, that's the biggest deal sign. I just mean, this is kind of that, ra- that, that value range mm. of free agency, if you will, where this guy has a massive ceiling, um, theoretically, but we haven't seen it in, uh, you know, the United States yet. So in theory, the money yeah. might not be there, but you know, two years from now, we might say the best free agent deal easily uh, signed in the, uh, this upcoming off season was uh, you know, Yamamoto. So, I mean that that is Senga, right? That's Senga. Basically, yep, yeah. Certainly isn't Carlos Rodon, right? If we're putting that in <laughs> next to each other, um, Sonny Gray is number nine. What a what a roller coaster career this guy has had. Every time he changes teams, something new happens, and. Him joining the Twins might be the best thing that's ever happened to him. He has been unbelievably efficient. He has been a necessity for this roster. He remains it heading into this postseason. The Twins look like they can actually be lethal here. Um, and it's because of the acquisition of Sonny Gray and the acquisition of Pablo Lopez. Let's let's not, you know, let's not split hairs here. That that is what has changed this franchise maybe forever here in terms of how things look now and how we approach the Minnesota Twins as postseason contenders. I don't know why they give up on him. He's 33. Chris Bassett's deal with Toronto is essentially what we're talking about here. Three for thir- three for 66, about 21 million a year. I, they don't give up on this, right? You just got to pay this guy. E- yes. Um, I, I agree with that. I think this is a guy. Do they have, could- do they have young arms ready to come up, Dan, that could supersede this whole process? Well, they, well, I felt a little more comfortable coming into 2023 than I do now in hindsight. Mm. There's a couple guys that I really liked that may not have developed um, in the right direction. So they, they, I, I do think a return to Minnesota is definitely in the cards potentially. Um, I think he's a, he's a sleeper candidate to gain some steam though. I know he's had a tumultuous career, um, mm-hmm. but as a product of, again, this pitching market, um, so many teams are going to be looking for pitching. He, I, I, this is a long winded way to say, I think I'm going to take the over on that number, but I do like, um, really the, even the at 33. Team. Yeah. Yeah. You think 21 is too low on him. Um, it's just, it's just in that Robbie Ray, Kevin Gosman, you know what I mean? Right. Chris Bassett. I'm that's not, sort of, that's sort of the going rate for this age group is all I'm saying. I'm not saying you're wrong or anything. I'm saying that I would just take the over and, mm. um, because of, I, I like. I, I think he. There could just be steam around a guy like this in in a specific landing place. A, a veteran who's been all around. Um, I, I don't know. I could just see. Well, let's say this: if Kershaw retires, Sonny Gray's an option, right? A proven, yeah, I mean, proven track record guy like that. He's an option for the Dodgers. A report. The there was a report that the Cardinals are interested in Gray this offseason. So that, that's what I mean. I think there's just going to be some steam around a guy like this. He's going to be coveted. Um, So I'm not saying you're wrong or our system is misvaluing him at all. I'm just saying, um, I I think I would take the over on on that if if I was presented with it. So, all right. Number 10, Jordan Montgomery, the former Yankee, the former Cardinal joined the Texas Rangers this year and never looked back. Uh, He is amidst a tower of hall of famers on that rotation right now, right? The Grom out. Scherzer, TBD. Is he the ace? And is he going to have to get paid like an ace, even if he stays? I think if he goes, he's looking for ace money, right? If he hits the open market and, you know, Team X comes out and says, we want this guy, could be the Cardinals, by the way, right? Could Cardinals could want him mm-hmm. back in a heartbeat. Um, you're paying him ace money. We've got him valued at six for 110. I, I know that seems low, but he has been a tempered a tempered arm for his entire career. He has not been a sort of the sort of unleashed in terms of him allowed to go out there and be a 200 strikeout type player. Maybe that's good for him. Maybe that's exactly what he needs is some sort of coverage around him. I've gotten going back to Texas just because like, like Minnesota, why would you screw with a good thing? They're going to lose Martin Perez off that roster. They're not going to have DeGrom. They're going to have to pitch count Scherzer. In my opinion, they're probably adding an arm versus subtracting an arm here. So why not just pay another hundred hundred million plus to to a, a potential ace on your team? Um, but again, this seems like a Sunny Gray conversation, but three years earlier, right? Thirty years old, 
tons of cloud around him. He's got tons of juice right now. Everybody's in. Does he remain in Texas or does he go in and hit an absolute splash contract somewhere? I would probably take the field, but I mean, there's, it's definitely within range that he goes back to Texas, but yeah, I think he's, you know, he's a left-handed pitcher, good track yeah. record of a mid rotation guy. Um, we've seen, again, we've seen those guys find money in, uh, you know, in free agency. I think, uh, I think you're, you're right in range there, right? <clears throat> yeah. I, I do think Texas just matches any bid here. Um, We've got a lot more to do on this. This was supposed to be a top 50. I could only get to the top 10 because there are so many back and forths and red flags and all that stuff. We will do plenty more work on this. Um, but coming up next, I think, is the option decisions in Major League Baseball because those get, get handled pretty quickly. Those essentially have to be decided before the end of the actual 2023 league year. So they come rapid fire. We do have some pretty nice names on that list of some decisions that may be franchise altering, right? I mean, what is like what is San Diego thinking? What are... What are the Cardinals doing right now? Are the Cubs all in? There are some really nice option decisions that could change the course of the winter. So I know you've done a lot of work on that. We'll be back on here to discuss a lot of that work probably next week. So I appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. All right. Let's switch gears to Jonathan Taylor. This is not something I thought we'd be saying in the middle of the 2023 NFL regular season, but Jonathan Taylor has a new contract and the running back market is back. 14 million a year for Jonathan Taylor, 26 and a half fully guaranteed. And I know a lot of you, myself included, were waiting for the structure to understand if that was a real number. I'm here to tell you it's a real number. It is something that he will have fully guaranteed by March of 2024. Now, look, it doesn't mean he's going to be on this roster for the next three years, but it, there's a really good chance of it. Let's put it that way. If you've read the article on spotchart.com, you understand what I'm talking about. Um, there's 19.3 million guaranteed at signing. It's a weird number because we're in the middle of the season. So we had to subtract the first four weeks that he's been paid, take the next 14 weeks and build that into the guarantee structure, tack on next year's compensation, and then eventually 7.15 million of 2025 becomes fully guaranteed next March. So it's real. It's 26 and a half million. It's more than if you would have just finished off this year, tagged in 2024, tagged in 2025. It's, a, it's number three, essentially. In every metric we can give it, guaranteed at signing, third to McCaffrey and Kamara. Total guarantees, third to McCaffrey and Kamara. The AAV of 14 is right where you want it to be as the number three overall behind Kamara and McCaffrey. And we talked about this a while ago. Um, I was prompted by a couple of people to do not so much a an actual valuation of this player, but just to give my thoughts and, and I can never just give thoughts without data. So I did the work to understand which contract that currently exists actually feels like Jonathan Taylor's next contract. And it's Dick Chubb. They're similar players, similar ages, even though Taylor has a year younger um, invested in him right now. Neither of them were first round, first round picks. So there was no guarantee in that last year, of the rookie contract, but they were escalated for proven performances. So ripping that up and, and locking in a three-year extension makes the most sense. Well, two years ago in 2021, Nick Chubb went three for 36.6, which ended up being four for 40.1. What did Taylor just do now? Again, we're inside you know the season here, week five of the regular season. He went three for 42, which turns out to be four for 46.3. So if we just adjust for cap, Nick Chubb's contract to Jonathan Taylor's contract, Taylor has has won. Okay, he has succeeded the percentages that could have just said, let's just sign Nick Chubb's contract right now. He has gone north of that number. He has gone north of the guarantee structure for that number. And more importantly, he has gone north of the three-year payout. Um, the contract that I handed back to the people that asked for it a couple of months ago was essentially a three for 33. I, I thought that the adjusted APY of 11 million per year in terms of where the guarantee structure would go made the most sense. It's not the 16 that McCaffrey is getting, you know, even though his adjusted APY is 12 right now. Okay. So if we think about that, if we think about the best running back in football has been operating at 12 million, million a year for the last couple of seasons. And now again, next year too, then everybody else should fall slightly under that. Well, Jonathan Taylor just secured 11.1 million adjusted APY over the next three seasons. Okay. And 26 and a half of that is going to be fully guaranteed. The remainder of that 
of course, comes in per game active bonuses, which you can understand. He did well. Okay. For most of these metrics, it's fair market value. For some of these metrics, like the guarantee and the three year payout, I think it's above fair market value. So there was a point of contention here where the Colts probably had to build in more than they wanted to because Jim Mercer and that, that franchise destroyed this relationship publicly on X and in, the, and in the new media and on TV. And when you do that, you have to pay for it. And they could have paid for it by losing this player and losing his ability to play football by trading him to another team, or they could have paid for it by adding another $4 million into, the, into his contract. And that's what happened here. All right. He gets 33 over three, 46 over four. There's a world where he plays all four years in this contract. He's 27 years old in the last season of this contract and everybody wins. So this is a slam dunk. I think it's a very good win-win deal for both sides. I think the Colts could have got left, got it for less if they had kept their mouth shut. I really do. Um, because I do think there's a couple million built in here where they didn't need to be. They could have just matched the tag numbers. And I think he would have said yes. And by the way, that's the last point I want to make here. Thank goodness Jonathan Taylor said yes. I've been begging for this. And I know it's a terrible way. It's a terrible approach if you're an agent or if you're a player. But running backs have to get contracts on the books to keep this thing going. right? For, I mean, for, for the love of God, Patrick Mahomes said this out loud. I needed to do this contract modification so that the quarter, for the good of the quarterbacks, so that quarterbacks can continue to get paid. Well, guess what? They're having no trouble getting paid. All right. Trevor Lawrence just made himself $60 million a year yesterday against the Bills. That's just the reality because he's a bona fide number one starter up for an extension next winter. It's going to happen. All right. It's going to happen. He's done enough. Quarterbacks have to do very little to get themselves into an extension window. Running backs have to do everything, including not get hurt, which is almost impossible at their position. Jonathan Taylor was offered a fair to above fair market value contract. And he said, yes, Saquon Barkley did not. Josh Jacobs may never have gotten an offer. All right. That's how difficult things are right now. So the fact that Taylor took this deal is very important. A for the Colts, B for him, and C for these other running backs that are coming into the fold. You have to do it. All right. Fight like hell. Hold out as much as you need to. Do everything you have to do to put your foot down and put the onus back on your team. But when, when you get something that looks, smells, feels at least close to right, you got to snag it. You got to get it out of the books so that we're not talking about McCaffrey's contract from four years ago and Chubb's contract from two and a half years ago. We're not talking about the next contract, which is Jonathan Taylor. And it's a good one. It's a good platform for other running backs to build off of now. And that's what we're going to see from here. So full breakdowns available on spotrate.com. I did all the guarantee structures, my concluding thoughts, where I think it's headed from here, how long he might be on this thing all the rankings in terms of cash and cap and everything um, now available on spotrack.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Trinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>